Hey, we are in the middle of a series, and um, I'm super excited about today's sermon, so I'll jump right to it. If you have a Bible, go with me to John, John chapter 11. So much going on. Uh, starting next month, we're going to start um, once a month Sunday classes, and so that's kind of our, our form of discipleship. And without saying discipleship, so Sunday classes will run every month, once a month on Sundays at 9.30. Really cool thing. You can come and um, catch coffee and pastries before church. And the first one I'll be teaching, kind of talking about philosophy of ministry and priorities and people and pace and kind of, um, it's kind of like Church 101 for 116 Church. And then uh, the next month, some of our different care pastors will be teaching and we'll be talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit and what that means and how to pray, um, water baptism, how to read your Bible. So we'll just kind of run that. And so if you want to jump in on one of the months and kind of learn on that stuff, it's kind of cool. And it's still at 930, so you don't have to get up that early. I love it. I love that we do church at 1045. The double digits is so good. So if you prefer church at 8 a.m., I love you, and Jesus probably agrees with you, but we ain't doing it. (laughs) I can't. I don't even know what we would do at 8 a.m. It's so hard, but... Um, if you're in Luke, or no, John, if you're in John chapter 11, this is a familiar passage in scripture. And if you've been in church any amount of time, if you haven't, then this, uh, allow me to give you some context. This is Jesus and he's, he's lost a friend. Uh, Lazarus was a good friend. It was a family friend and he died. And so Jesus has made his way to where Lazarus has been buried and he's been buried for four days. So that's, I mean, there's dead and then there's just dead. And so Lazarus is dead, dead, four days dead. And Mary and Martha, his sisters, they come to meet Jesus and Jesus loves Mary and Martha. And like I said, you know, you have friends that are friends and you have friends that are like family. Well, scripture makes it pretty clear that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were like friends like family to Jesus. Um, He did a lot with them. And so this is kind of the interaction between Jesus and Mary. I'll pick it up in verse 32, John chapter 11, verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Shortest verse in all of scripture, verse 35. And Jesus wept. Jesus didn't weep because there was no hope. Jesus wept because the pain is real. And I hope you know that. Uh, Jesus isn't removed from our pain. He gets it. Sometimes sunglasses and Advil is just not enough, right? And so Jesus wept, not out of hopelessness, but out of reality. In verse 36, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And he said, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the many people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, 
take off the grave clothes and let him go. Oh, I love this passage. And I think there's so much application we can make today. Let me read one more scripture verse, Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will. Turn to someone and say, he will. We sing a song that says he won't. <laughs> Today we're saying he will. <laughs> and all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. I'd like to title our talk for part two in our series. You're telling me there's no hope. I'm telling you you're wrong. <laughs> you're telling me there's no hope. I'm telling you you're wrong. God, I thank you that you're here. Thank you that you love us. You're with us. You're for us. Thank you for your grace that astounds me every time I think about it. Lord, that you, Lord, that you would love us even when we didn't love you. You'd be so gracious to us when we didn't deserve it. God, I pray right now, everyone who's in church, regardless of their situation, their circumstance, their relationship with you, God, that you'd be so real to us today. Thank you. God, thank you for the freedom that we can gather today. Thank you that we get to be in church in this great city of Bellevue. Lord, thank you that we have this building. Thank you for the many men and women who serve on teams to make church happen. Lord, right now, would you do what only you can do? We've done our part. My God, would you speak to us? Would you break through the barriers we've put up in our own hearts? Would you break through the pain and the offense and the preconceived notions that we have? And would you just speak to us through your word? Give us hope and give us life. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Um, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 really kind of encompasses, I think, the message of this series that we've begun. Um, we've entitled the series, For You Are With Me. And really the thought of it is, is that God is with us in all things. And I don't want to overstate it, but I, I would go as far to say that one of the main things, if not the main thing that separates those who follow Jesus and put their trust in God from those who don't is this, this truth for you are with me. It's knowing that. It's not that we're better. If you're a follower of Jesus, we're not better than people who aren't. That's, I know that's not true. It's not that God loves us more because God loves us all the same. Couldn't love you any more or any less than he already loves you. And so thank God for that. But simply it's living from the perspective and the understanding that you, God, are with me. Um, it changes everything. Imagine if every decision you approached it with that. For God is with me in every circumstance, every challenge, every failure, every success, every relationship. If we, if we came at it from this immutable truth that God is with us. I've said it before and there's, there's some big gentlemen in this room and some, some super tough ladies in this room. And I might be scared to walk down a dark alley by myself. But if you are with me, I'm like, let's roll, right? Imagine every situation, because it's true, that God is with us. He's with us. Um, I love the verse in, in the Psalms or the Proverbs where it says, even if I made my bed in hell, you would be there with me and you would hold me there. So it's not based, God being with us isn't based on our goodness, isn't based on our church attendance. Um, it's not based on any of that. It's simply based on the fact of his goodness and us accepting and trusting God. And so Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 for me kind of sums up that whole thought. It says, um, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, submit to him, and he will make 
your path straight. Here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that we don't understand. It says don't lean on your understanding. And I've had to, I've kind of had to like make this, this distinction for myself. It's not saying that we're just, you know, have you ever heard preachers talk about like the Bible likens us to sheep? And then preachers are notorious for like sheep are stupid. And I supposedly they are like in the animal kingdom of the dumbest creatures, right? Sort of like, we're all like sheep. We're just walking around. We're so stupid. I'm not actually going down that road because it's offensive to me. No, I think actually we have understanding. I think we can understand things. But Proverbs is saying, just don't lean on your understanding. Just don't lean on it. Yeah, you understand things. Um, like most of us, for instance, understand how to drive correctly. <laughs> most of us by the way in fact if you don't know how to drive correctly I'm going to ask you please as a public service announcement please get off the road and get from behind the wheel because the rest of us are getting fed up with it now for instance I understand what a turn signal is for do you <laughs> All right, give me a moment because I'm going to take a second here I understand what it's for because I went to driver's ed and I know how to drive and I'm a safe driver a turn signal is for the purpose of alerting drivers behind you, around you, that you're either going to be making a turn in the near future, near future, emphasis being in near future, or changing lanes. Now, I many times don't use a turn signal. You want to know why? <laughs> because for some people who don't understand, when they see the turn signal come on, they're like, ooh, this is NASCAR, and I'm at a race. And the last thing I can do is let that person get in front of me, or they win. And it's not a race, and we're not 12, right? So I won't turn on my turn signal, because some of you, the moment I do, you speed up. You know? Like, what are you doing? I was just trying to, I was trying to merge, right? You don't understand the use of a turn signal. I understand how to correctly and significant or sufficiently take a turn when in traffic. Do you? <laughs> okay, if you don't, I'm talking to you, but I'm not talking to you. Okay, I'm gonna explain to you how you, how you take a turn in traffic. As you're getting close to the turn, not too close, not a mile away, <laughs> but as you get close to it, a few hundred yards, you start to slow down so that you can take the turn. You don't have to speed into the turn, but when you take the turn, take it at a normal, a normal speed. Just enough so that everyone in the car doesn't fly to the left or to the right, okay? And as you take it, as you, as you begin to make the turn, as you get through the turn, just give a little gas and just, just push through, okay? That's how you do it. And the reason you do that is because there's other cars behind you. You don't want to cause like a stop. You're doing your best. I'm not saying speed through and skid out. I'm just saying as you get there, slow down and then, then turn. But some people don't understand this because they'll get to the turn and they'll put their blinker on two miles before the turn. And they start to slow down a mile before the turn. And you're behind them and you've got to turn too and you can't do anything. And they're just so slow. And then when they get to the turn, because they're so scared of turning, and they just, they just kind of just kind of stop at the turn. And then they look like they're checking the intersection. Meanwhile, there's like 25 cars behind them. And we're all like slamming on our brakes because you stopped at the turn. And now you're like, okay, checking right, checking left. It's not a stop sign, but no, you stop. And then, then, you, then when you do the turn, just give me a second here. You do the turn. You just roll into it. You just idle. You don't, no, there's no gas. You just roll, roll. I could literally get out of my car, walk up to you, knock on your window like, hi, how you doing? Hey, man. So, hey, I'm a part of 25 cars that are behind you right now, and if you don't mind just moving along, like that's, you don't understand, or they, not you, <laughs> they don't understand how to turn. 
A lot of people don't understand what the speed limit sign's for. I understand what it's for. I do. I understand this. Speed limit signs are to tell us that, you know, this is the recommended speed for safety if you're in a school zone, if you're on a highway. And, and it is a given. Now, it's a given. And I understand this. Do you? It's a given that five miles over the speed limit is totally acceptable and actually preferred. That's a given. If you disagree, you don't understand. <laughs> No one is supposed to drive 40 when the speed limit is 40. Nobody does that, okay? Unless you don't understand. Because if you're going 40 and a 40, in my opinion, you're not doing the right thing. You should be going at least 45, at least 45. Some of us go 50. And okay, maybe you're dabbling. Maybe you'll get a ticket. But 45, is a, here's what you don't do. Here's what you never do. Please, if you get anything out of this message today, disregard the Bible for a second. Never. Go five miles under the speed limit. Never, never do that. I'm asking you on behalf of all humanity, never, never do it. You know what else I understand? I understand that when I drive, I'm not the only person on the planet. <laughs> I understand that I'm not the only one on the road. Have you ever been behind the person who's like driving and they're looking at their directions and so that they can better read the directions in the middle of the road, they just come to a stop? There's no stop sign, middle of traffic, and they're just like, and you can see their head on a swivel as you're looking for an address, and you're like, what are you doing? Like, there's, there's no stop sign, there's no stop, but they just stop, because in their mind, they're alone in the world. They don't understand. Okay, true story, I was at the grocery store yesterday. I knew God was setting me up for this, was, and I, I did good, I did good, babe. I was, I was a Christian, and I was godly. The grocery store the other day, and I was coming around the corner, and there was, there was a woman, God's, God's child, God's beloved child. I kept reminding myself, she was God's beloved child. She was in the middle, and she was loading up her cart where, where the cars go. Now, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm okay if you want to pull in the fire lane and load up the car. I get it. You pull out of the way. You're not supposed to park there, but you're just loading up the groceries. You don't want to walk all the way. I'm fine. You're out of the way. Hey, God bless you. She wasn't, she wasn't in a fire lane. She was, she was in the middle. And when I say middle, please understand, she wasn't in the middle of her lane because that would be annoying enough to stop in your lane while other cars are also trying to go and then just open your trunk and one by one put your groceries. But she was in the middle of the whole road. So that means people going this way and people coming this way were blocked. And it, it was, I actually stopped and was like, this is astounding. I was like, I was studying like nature. I was like, look at this. Look at her. She's in her environment. She does not even know that other people live and exist. And here she was, blocking, so their cars both ways were all stopped. And I'm just like, what is happening? And she's just, her cart's out there, and she's just slowly, not even looking up, just putting her groceries in her car. Like she's in a parking spot, but she's not, she's in the middle of the road. <laughs> and she's just doing it, and I'm literally like, oh, this can't be, this can't be real. God is testing me right now. And I passed the test, but the person on the other side did not pass the test. <laughs> and I mean, they laid on their horn like, Rah! and she like, sh and she was shocked. She was mortified. How dare you? And I'm like, ma'am, how dare you? You don't understand. We understand. I also understand what a, what a car horn is for. Like, and, and if you don't understand this, please understand. And this is so helpful. And I'm glad that we could do this at church this morning. A car horn, there's two types of honks. There's the courtesy honk and then there's the emergency honk. And please understand this. Please understand. An emergency honk is like when someone's about to die. When there's about to be a collision, a head-on collision. Then you slam on the horn and you, you lay on it because it's to jar them. It's to wake them from their stupor so that they can get back in their lane or they can stop, right? And that's, that's, then there is the courtesy honk. And courtesy honk happens when like 
ma'am is unloading her groceries in the middle of the road, you know, or someone's at the stoplight and they're looking at their phone and the stoplight turns, you know, and then they're still looking at their phone. It's five seconds, 10 seconds, a minute. <laughs> Here's the courtesy honk. Honk, honk. It's just, it's light. You barely tap it. You're not trying to scare people. You're not trying to make the children cry. You just, <laughs> hey man, I know you're busy. We're just, we're all out here. You know, it's just no big deal. And then typically when you give a courtesy honk, <laughs> people are like, oh man, my bad. Oh, my bad. And everyone's like, everyone's cool. We all like shoot each other the wink and the gun. Hey man, appreciate you. Yeah. And we all just, life is good. There's no road rage because it's a courtesy honk, wink and a gun. It's all good. What happens, what happens though, is when you're at that green light and it turns green and you wait 0.3 seconds too long, someone goes, Argh! you know what I'm saying? And that makes me want to get out of my car, <laughs> right? Because people don't understand everything. Some of us understand certain things. Some of us don't understand things. Uh, my brother, Travis, my brother-in-law, Travis, he's a builder. He understands. We were, we're opening up a shop this weekend, and we're looking at plumbing, and I know nothing about it, but he understands. I don't understand. He understands. When I read Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, it's not that we don't understand. When the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, it's not saying that you don't understand, because sometimes you do. And this is, I think, the distinction that we need to make this morning. Mary, Martha, and the story of Lazarus, they understood a few things. Now, granted, they don't understand everything, but they understood some things. For instance, when Jesus showed up, Mary understood death. She understood death because death is final. And you're breathing one moment, and then you're not breathing the next. And then you're wearing normal clothes one moment, and then you're wearing grave clothes the next. And then you're at dinner table and you're having dinner one moment and then we're burying you in a tomb and rolling a stone. They understood death, the finality of it. And so when Jesus comes, Mary comes to Jesus. She said, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But he did die. And I understand that he's dead. They understood when hope is gone. And so do we. You understand that. I understand that. When hope is gone. We can understand and comprehend when the marriage is just over. It's just over. I, I wish it wasn't. We've given it our best shot. But we understand, right? Yeah, I don't love you. You don't love me. It's done. It's over. We can understand when the diagnosis comes. And hey, and it's, it's, it's going to end in death. Like this, this is the timeline. No, no, no. It, no, this is it. Science tells us. Medicine tells us. Right? We can understand the finality. Here's the problem. When our understanding, because we do understand some things. It doesn't mean we're wrong. Mary was not wrong when she cried with Jesus saying, my, my, my brother is dead. She wasn't wrong. So many times we want to call what isn't, isn't. No, no. He's actually dead. He died. It happened. It's horrible, and it was painful, and we understand that. And so many times our understanding begins to block God because we actually do understand some things. I can understand the addiction. I understand it. Yeah, I, I keep telling myself I'm going to not do it, but I keep doing it. I can understand it. I mean, I, I have good intentions. I've set up all my plans. 
I've done everything I can. I know it's killing me. I know it's wrong. I know it's hurting me. I know I'm losing so much more than I'm gaining. I know that. I know that. I know that. I understand that. It doesn't change the fact. There's nothing I could do about it, right? So here Jesus shows up. Mary is, if you had been here, my brother would have lived. And Jesus doesn't give her explanation. Notice this. Jesus doesn't explain it to her. Why? Because you can't understand that. He doesn't explain to Mary. He simply weeps with her. He just cries with her. And Jesus isn't faking. This isn't a public move. Um, his media team didn't get together and was like, hey, we think it'd be really great if you, when you're out there today with the people, if you just shed a few tears, we think that'd be really good for your image. That's not what's happening here. Jesus is genuinely, the Bible says he was deeply moved. Knowing what God knows, knowing what's going to happen in just a few moments, God is moved. Why? Because Mary was moved. And he weeps with us. He celebrates with us. He rejoices with us. And he's with you in the weeping. Just because God is with you in the weeping doesn't mean there's no hope. It simply means he's there with you. He's right there with you. He's not going to try and explain it away. Have you ever gone through something so hard? So devastating, and someone just comes in and begins to just break it down for you. Hey, so what happened is you did this, and they did it, and you're like, oh my God, please stop talking. Like, I, I don't actually need to hear that from you. Jesus doesn't do it. Jesus simply is just with Mary. Now let's look a little closer at Proverbs 3.5. I was actually on the, on the beach with my brother Ben, who's in the back, and he, he kind of gave me this thought, so I got to give him credit because he, he, he was breaking it down as we're sitting on the beach and the, and the sand is on our feet and the wind's blowing and the waves were crashing. Are you jealous yet? So awesome. But Ben, was, ben decided to talk about the Bible. He's like, Proverbs 3, 5, man, I've been thinking about it, and it was brilliant. Um, let's look closely. Let's look at what it says by identifying what it doesn't say. Here's what Proverbs 3, 5 does not say. Lean on God's understanding, not yours. Doesn't say that. Now, sometimes I translate it that way. Lean on God's understanding, not yours. No, it clearly says, trust the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your understanding. It doesn't say lean on God's understanding. You want to know why? Because we can't understand God. There it is. Write it down. <laughs> it's going to save you so much hope and virtue in this life. You can't. Actually, I cannot understand God. Imagine if you could, by the way. You yourself would be God. If you could understand God, what do we need God for? No, you can't understand. So Proverbs doesn't say, hey, lean on God's understanding. You can't lean on it because you can't fathom it. I cannot fathom why God does what he does, when he does what he does, how he does what he does. And in fact, it's an enigma to me. But so often, we try to. I try to understand God. Some of you in here this morning, and I know because I've been where you are, you're wondering whether you're going to put your faith solely in God. And what's holding you back is you don't fully understand yet. And I just need to tell you, you are never going to fully understand God. When it comes to God, all we can do is trust. You can't understand it's actually kind of ridiculous to think that we could. You can't, just like a child can't understand a parent, an animal can't understand a human, you can't understand. He's God. The Bible declares in Isaiah, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts, so much higher than our thoughts. You can't, but many of us, myself included, I'll work myself into discouragement, 
low-key depression, I start to lose hope because I'm like, I don't, I don't understand. As if the remedy and the solution is in understanding. And we live in a culture that tells us that. And I'm all for it. Remember, I'm all for using your mind. We know how to drive. I'm all for it. God doesn't say you don't understand. You do understand. Here's the thing. When it comes to God, all we can do, Scripture tells us, is trust. Just trust him because you cannot understand him. My brother on the beach, he's like, I'm just done trying to figure God out, <laughs> which sounds bad, but it's actually really good. I'm done trying to figure him out because, but here's what I'm going to do. Instead, I'm going to simply trust God because he's God and I'm just going to trust him. If you can find yourself in that place, it's amazing. And this is not us just settling. This isn't a crutch. And this is where people that would be anti-religious, anti-God would say, oh, so your religion is just a crutch for you. And so what you do is you, like an ostrich, you put your head in the sand and you're like, I'm not going to think it through. I'm not going to be critical of it. I'm just going to blindly trust. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just like, in all your thinking and all your understanding and all of your knowledge, realize it'll never be enough to wrap your mind around the creator of the universe. So all we are left with, it's our only option, is trust or don't trust. I recommend <laughs> in church on Sunday as a pastor, putting your trust in God. That's not settling. That's choosing to be settled. There is a big difference. This isn't a crutch for me. I'm not just settling. Well, uh, what are your other options? There's nothing else I can do. We'll just settle for this. No, no, no. It's choosing to be settled in my emotions, in my mind, and in my soul. Do you know what it is to be settled? Just kind of like, whew, is what it is. Paul in scripture said, it's, I've learned to be content in every situation. I've just learned the art of just not satisfied. Not like, you know what, don't need to keep pushing, don't need to keep going. No, Paul's the same guy who said, I press on toward the goal, win the prize for which God has called me. But in the same breath, he's like, but I've also learned the art of just being settled. Here's where we are. God is in control. I don't understand everything. Settled. I have, I have learned firsthand the difference between being settled and being unsettled. And settled is the place where I can find my trust in God. My wife and I, 15 years ago, we moved, um, many of you would know this, from Atlanta, Georgia, where she was born and raised, where all of our kids were born, to Seattle. And the first two, three years here, you want, I was the opposite of settled. I was so unsettled. First of all, I was, a, I was an audio engineer, and I'm not an audio engineer. <laughs> Remember we talked about understanding things? I didn't understand, but I was paid <laughs> to do something. I'm like, Google, YouTube, people that were friends. Hey, what's this button do? You know? And I was so, I mean, I just talk about being unsettled. And I can't tell you how many times for that first two years, Jen and I contemplated going back to Atlanta, moving to Colorado, I mean, I, Florida, there were so many, and we were, these weren't just like thoughts. Like I was like going down those roads. I was even doing some interviews just, and finally there was a moment where Jen and I just had this moment. We sat down two and a half years and it was awful. Have you ever been in a place where you just refuse to settle? I'm not saying settle for less, but just be at ease. Put your trust in God. Have you ever been there? It's awful. It's torture. It's self-torture. We were so tortured. I couldn't, I couldn't be happy. I'd take the kids to ice cream. I'm like, eat it. I hope you're happy. And I'm just trying to like put on a smiley face. like, <laughs> And I just hated my life. And finally, she looked at me and we looked at each other. And she was, she was a little better off than me. But we were both kind of, and we're like, that's it. You know what? Like we know that God loves us. And God told us to come here. 
Let's just be here. Like we didn't have many friends. We were part of a church, but it was really big. And so we weren't really connecting and we were doing our best. But people didn't like us because we're from the South. And in the South, you say hi to people and smile. <laughs> in Seattle, you just stare and keep walking. <laughs> we didn't know that. <laughs> and so we invite people over to our house. We had so many people come over to our home. And they're like, I've never been to someone's home. <laughs> this is true. Maybe you, and I'm like, what? Like, we're in the South. Everyone comes to your home. I'm like, no, just restaurants and happy hour. We've never done this. People do this. I'm like, yeah, like the whole world does this. <laughs> Not Seattle. We do around here. Anyways, we finally had this moment. Like, that's it. We'll settle it. That's it. This is where we are. We're going to trust God. We're going to be here. And I'm telling you what, babe, everything changed. Everything began to change. It's like all of a sudden, like this ease, we're here. And so now that we're here, this is what we'll do. And God just, and it's the best decision we ever made in our entire lives. But we had to trust God. Just three years ago, just three years ago, my role abruptly ended in an organization, a large organization in our community. And I remember, I remember the panic that set in. First of all, job, gone, salary, gone, and future, plans gone and I remember Jen and I having this moment and I panicked I did panic I wish I could say I was just a man of faith it's like oh God will provide I wasn't I panicked and I hired a company to find me a job and and within four days I had three offers two in Seattle one in California and all of those offers were substantially more than I had been making salary one of them was actually double and I remember I'm sitting there four days four days out of this and I'm like all right. I mean, and, but here's what it was. It wasn't in church. It wasn't, it was a corporate world. And I don't even know what those jobs were. One was a tech company. It was just a corporate thing. I was just, it's just a corporate thing. And I'm like, okay. And I remember sitting there with God. I'm like, so this is it. 20 years being a pastor. And now I'm going to take a paycheck and go into the corporate world. And that's what this all was for. And I felt as if God were standing right next to me. He's like, you are not. And it's like the Holy Spirit just settled for me right then and there. You're not going to do it. And I called the company that got us the, the interviews. And I was like, hey, we're backing out. And he's like, what, you got someone else? Someone else jumping in? No, no, no. No, we're just not going to do it, which they thought I was stupid and crazy. And I'll never forget, Jen and I just settled it right then and there. We're going to do what God tells us. We're going to trust God. And honestly, we would not be meeting here this Sunday morning had that moment, had we not decided. I couldn't understand. I certainly did not see 116 Church, and I certainly did not see what God had in store for us. But we just decided, by the grace of God, we're just going to trust God. I don't understand God. I don't understand why things happen, or why they happened the way they happened, or they happened when they happened. Timing was way off, in my opinion. But God is in control. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Now let's look at John 11. Let's, let's look at verses 23 and 26 if we can. This is before Jesus talked to Mary. And he's having a conversation with, Mar with Martha. Starting in verse 23, Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha was crying. She was very upset. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Let me translate. <laughs> Let me just stop for a second. Well, here's what Martha's saying. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what she's doing to Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know, I know. Like when you, when, when God comes back and the devil bows and says every, every tongue shall confess, every knee shall bow, you are Lord. And when we all die and heaven comes and we all go to heaven, I know, I know. She's discrediting what God is saying. Because here's what she knows. She knows scripture. 
She knows in the end we'll all rise again. And so Jesus says, your, your, your brother will rise again. She's like, I know, I know in the last days when you come back. And, and look what Jesus says almost emphatically. She goes, I know again at the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus says, Martha, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Now look how many times he's going to drop the believe word. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Keep going. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? <laughs> and Jesus is like two sentence conversation with Martha. He says the word believe three times. Look what Jesus doesn't ask Martha. Martha, do you understand this? He didn't say that. That's how I read it sometimes though. He explains, I am the resurrection. I am the way. I am the life. Whoever believes in me, if you believe in me, you will have life. And, it, and he doesn't say, do you understand? No, no, no. I say that all the time. I say that to my children when they were young. Do you understand? Which someone told me that's bad. Do you understand? Do you understand? Do you understand? That's not what Jesus said. Jesus says, do you believe this? Because she didn't understand it. She did not. I don't understand it. How do the dead rise from how how does a dead person come alive again how does that happen? I don't understand that modern medicine doesn't understand that the laws of physics and life don't don't understand that Jesus isn't asking almost if he's talking to all of us today he's not asking you do you understand what I'm doing do you understand how I'm operating your life do you understand how I'm leading you and directing you do you he's not asking that do you believe this that's the question. He takes it even a step further in verse 38 and 40. Jesus, when he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he says, roll away the stone. And Martha, again, I'm not mad at Martha, but Martha is just like me and just like you. She understands some things. And here's what she understands. Look what she says. She says, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The odor. Like, you can't do that. Like he's, his body has already begun to decompose. She understands four days dead. She understands that. She understands when you die, things die, and odors start to happen. And she's like, this is going to be horrifying. And so she, Jesus, again, look what he says to her. He, he goes back to her. He's like, did I not tell you that if you understand, you'll see the glory of God? That's not what he says. He's like, did I not tell you that if you believe, if you believe, Sometimes we need to turn off what we know and turn our trust in God back on. This is, I'm, I'm preaching to myself this morning now. I am preaching to myself. Many times, if I'm going to trust God, I will have to let go of what I know. I'll have to let go of it. Because what I know is in direct contradiction with trusting God. It just, honestly, it just doesn't make logical sense. It doesn't make common sense. Many times it won't. It won't. You're going to have to trust God, not understand him. Again, and I, I can see the theologians in the room and the historians and the people of intellect and academia, and I, I may fake it pretty good, but I actually love intellectualism, and I love to study, and I'll study with the best of them, and I believe studying to show yourself approved. But you could study every day for the rest of your life for all eternity, and you will never even get close to figuring out God. You cannot. And so, we trust. Jesus gives one instruction 
after Lazarus is raised from the dead. One. And I think it's super telling. It's in verse 44. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes forth, and he's, he's wrapped. He's mummified, essentially. That's how they wrapped him. They wrapped him all up. And what does Jesus say? The one instruction says, take off his grave clothes. Let him loose. Now, grave clothes can be symbolic for a lot of things. It can be symbolic for the power of sin and death. It no longer has a hold on us. I believe that. It can be symbolic for the things that we once thought that aren't true. But here's what I believe in this instance it certainly refers to. It's reminding us of the things we can't understand. Grave clothes are what we understand. You're dead, wrap them up. Wrap them up. That's what you do when people die, man. There's a reason. Mummify them, take care of them. That's what you do. We wrap them up. And Jesus is saying, get rid of what you thought and let them go. I believe for many of us, that thing that God is calling you to do, that next level, that next season that you just feel, you're right there, you're hitting your head against it. It's a challenge. It's a, it's a decision. It's a victory you're trying to break through. It's a problem you're trying to deal with. It's very much linked to take off the grave clothes. What you knew, what you thought worked, take it off so that you can, it says take off the grave clothes and let him go, let him loose. It's trusting God in spite of what we know. Can I give you, share this morning, a strategic key to living a victorious life? Sounds like a book title. (laughs) It probably is. I'm going to give you a strategic key to living a victorious life. It's found in Isaiah 30, chapter 15. Um, And I don't read, I love Isaiah. I'm I'm not one, my, my preference wouldn't be to read the prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, I suppose, Obadiah, I don't know, Habakkuk, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, would, I would lean definitely towards like Psalms, Proverbs, Gospels. I don't read Revelation because I don't understand it. Um, but, you know, I like the stories in the Bible. I like kings, you know, with all the wars and the battles and Joshua. But this verse popped out to me the other day in Isaiah chapter 30, 15. And I believe it is a key to living a victorious life. 100%. In fact, it's one of the great life hacks that scripture gives us. You ever hear of a life hack? Like it's a way to do something easier. My, my children, they're in their 20s and they all have like, ooh, life hack, life hack, got these life hacks. This is a life hack straight from scripture. And it says this, in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. In quietness, shh, in confidence shall be your strength. Let's do a little mini Bible study here. This, 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 this verse was written in the Hebrew language. And the word strength there means victory. In quietness and confidence, you'll have victory. Quietness and confidence, you'll have victory. Quietness there in the Hebrew language means undisturbed, at rest, settled. Remember that word? That's what it means. So in your undisturbed, settled state, You'll have confidence, which will lead to victory. And the word confidence in the Hebrew language is used only one time in all the Bible. Now, this, is, this, this gets me. That word confidence there is used one time in all the Bible. Anytime one word is used only once in Scripture, it's significant. Now, there's a lot of Hebrew words 
used for confidence because confidence in the English language has a bunch of Hebrew derivatives. And some of those words mean like assurance. Others mean boldness. One of the derivatives means security. Another one means literally a refuge. It's your confidence. Like this is the only time this is ever used in the Bible. And it literally means trust. So what, what the scripture is telling us in Isaiah, what the prophet is saying on God's behalf to you and me, he's saying in your settled trust, there will be victory. That's the scripture verse. In my settled trust, not in my deep understanding, not in my spiritual antics. No, 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 no. In my settled trust, there will be victory. What this is saying to me when I think about in the quietness and confidence shall be my strength, to me it's saying say less. (laughs) Say less. Say less to others and say less to myself. I don't know about you, but if I get going and I kind of get unrest and I kind of get unsettled and I kind of get a little panicked and I kind of get a little irritated and I'm driving the car and you took that turn at two miles per hour again, there's a part of me that can start just to say, say things. And I start to say things and my wife will be like, you say too much. I'm like, you say too little. <laughs> and then again, I said too much. It is amazing to me how I'll, if I just get going or I get around the, the, a certain group of people, they'll start to talk and I'll start to talk and we'll work ourselves into a friend. It's like, yeah, I don't understand. And why would they say that? Why weren't they there? And boom, 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 boom. And then if I'm not doing that, if I'm not gossiping, then what I, what, a lot of times it's my self-talk. Talk to myself. I say too much. I'll say stuff in the bathroom when we're getting ready and my wife will be like, you should not say that. I'm like, well, if I can't say it here, where can I say it? <laughs> I feel like God wants to be like, nowhere. <laughs> like, stop talking. And quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Now, we are in a culture that is so loud. When did we get so loud, by the way? I'm trying to remember. It's been so noisy for so long. I can't actually put my finger on it. Maybe it's just that it's always been noisy and it's just been getting louder and louder and louder. But that certainly would not like describe many faith communities that I know of. And It wouldn't describe many organizations that I know of. Quietness and confidence. But what the Bible is saying, there is a a trust and a victory that comes from us just being like, you know what? I'm just going to let God be God. And I'm going to stop working myself into a frenzy. Can I tell you, actually I can't tell you how many times I have talked myself into discouragement. Just did it to myself. I journal. I've written myself into discouragement. I start writing. <laughs> right? And by the time it's over, I'm like, oh. Jen's like, you want to go on a date? No. What are we even here for? It's all meaningless. Why did we do this? <laughs> and she's like, what happened to you? I did it to myself. Quietness. Now, there's a moment. I'll take prayers. Babe, you can chill. <laughs> oh, hey. Thank you for Whatever. Positive affirmation. I get it. There will be times where I'll, I'll pull my complaints out before the Lord. That's different. And I've found moments where I'm like, God, please help me. Lord, this really bothers me. Help me. And always when I'm doing that, at the end of it, he always leads me back to his goodness, his sovereignty, trusting him. It's when I'm just being noisy that it doesn't end in trust. It ends in discouragement. It ends in frustration. And a lot of times it ends in helplessness. Just like, what? so what is the answer? There is no answer. So there's a difference between pouring my complaints out to God and like, Lord, 
please help me right now. I did this this morning. I literally, this is so random. <laughs> I don't know why I'm sharing this, but I don't know. Maybe it's for someone. But this morning, just randomly, as I'm getting ready to talk to you this morning, I just wrote down my enemies. <laughs> Which I'm like, I don't think I have any enemies. But then I wrote down like seven names. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I guess you're an enemy, you know. And I just, and I was kind of like, God, like why do, I, why do I feel that? You have people in your life. And we never admit it, and I just admitted it to all of you, which is weird. But, you know, you never want to admit that you consider someone an enemy. But there's people, like, if they walk in the room, I would instantly probably, like, walk the other way. Like, eh, I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. If they waved high, I'd pretend like I didn't see them. Like, oh, I didn't even know you were there. You know? For whatever reason, they hurt me. It was, got weird. It was awkward. There was betrayal. They hurt someone I love. They did something I disagree with. What a politics. Um, the way we handle COVID. There's so many reasons. And I just kind of wrote down, I was like, I don't think I hate these people, but it was just random. Like, these are my enemies. And I just felt like the whole, and I was like, God, like, please help me forgive them the way you forgive me. And all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, yeah, you know what? I'm going to work on it. I'll probably pray for them. Not today, but probably tomorrow. <laughs> I'm a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. But it's always amazing to me when we put our trust in God, when, you, when your quietness and strength your confidence in him. It does lead to a healthy place, right? It leads to a healthy place. But you can tell when you're just being noisy because it leads me to discouragement. I start to doubt. I start to question things. We have a saying on our team is like, stop making problems where there is no problem. Because so many times there could be no problem but the way we handle it, the way we process it, the way we overthink it, the way we worry about it. All of a sudden there's a problem. We're like, there was no problem. We created a problem out of thin air. And quietness and confidence shall be our strength. Can I say as a community, we will not be the loudest. Never. <laughs> I'm, we're, not, we're not competing. We're not trying to shout louder. I do that in my family. It doesn't work. <laughs> we're not trying to shout louder than the next. We're not going to be a neon sign, but we will be a city on a hill. We will be a light in the darkness. And quietness and trust, confident trust. I pray to God, let that be our hallmark. Let that be our strength. That was the strength of Jesus. Look how little he said. Look how little explanation Jesus gives when Lazarus is dead. Even his own disciples, if you read before it, they're like, Lazarus is dead. And Jesus decides to wait two days later. They're like, Lord, he's dead. We should go. Like, maybe you can get there. Or no, he was sick in the very beginning. Jesus hears. He's sick. And his disciples, Peter, John, Matthew, these guys, they're like, we should go. And she's like, no, 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 it's good. And he stayed two days longer. No explanation. They're like, why would you let him die? Jesus is quiet. There's a quiet confidence. And even when he's about to raise him from the dead, look at the words he says to God. He says, Lord, I'm praying out loud, and I know you hear me. I always know you hear me. I have a quiet confidence. But I'm talking out loud now so that the people around me would also know that you are trustworthy. There's this verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 2, I think says it so perfectly. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. I'm trying to think. This was written by the wisest man in the world, Solomon. And here's, here's the summation of it all. God is in heaven. You are on earth, so let your words be few. I'm done trying to explain God to people and myself. He's in heaven. I'm on earth. I honestly, I don't understand. 
So I'm going to say less and trust more. I'm just going to say less. Talk it out. Talk it out with good friends. I'm, I, I'm a huge fan of counseling. I'm a huge fan of it. Christian counseling. I believe in it. I really do. I probably didn't the first part of my life, but I certainly do the last part in my 30s and 40s. I'm a big fan of it. It's okay. Communicate. It's awesome. But when it comes to the trials and the tribulations and the mysteries and the misunderstandings and the offenses and the pains and the hurts and the questions without answer, let my words be few. I just don't know. But I choose to settle my spirit and trust God. You don't have to. But man, if you do, I'm reminded my brother Ben, who helped me kind of write this sermon. Thank you, bro. When he was 16 years old, we were standing at the gravesite with my father, and they had just buried him. And it was open. And he died very young, my dad, of cancer. And you know that if you've been around. My brother asked me a question that would haunt me for years. He was 16 years old. He wasn't crying because he was so hurt. Have you ever been so hurt you just the tears that elude you, it's just, it just turns more into anger than it does to pain. And he was standing there looking at my dad's coffin six feet in the, in the ground, and he says, explain this to me. Explain this to me. My kid brother, explain this to me. And I would spend the next year trying to explain it to not only my brother, but to myself. In the moment, I simply said, well, we're all pawns in the cosmic game of chess, and God is the great master, and we just passed the test of faith. How do you like them apples? And I could not have been more sarcastic, more angry, more hurt, more jaded. And it would begin nine months, a year, of me totally and utterly losing faith in God. And instead of turning to God, I ran from God. Instead of trusting God, I hated God. I just could not understand why that happened. I couldn't. And what made it worse is I couldn't explain to my brother who would go through his own hell at age 16 to lose your dad, your best friend. Maybe you know. Would go through his own hell for the next decade of pain and struggle and anger. I couldn't explain to him. Man, if I could have, I would have. But do you know what I found? I actually never came up with an explanation, ever. I'm 46. That happened when I was 26. I don't have an explanation. But an explanation would not have saved me. God saved me. <laughs> God saved me. Not the explanation. God reached down and pulled me out of the pit. And my brother. And you. He reached down. And he pulled me out of the pit I was in. There was no explanation given. The explanation wouldn't have had any power anyways. If God explained it, I wouldn't have understood it. <laughs> like, that doesn't make sense. I don't understand. <laughs> it's because you can't. At some point, you're going to have to just settle and trust God. <laughs> He's with you. This is the dividing factor for those of us who follow Jesus and those who don't. It is not that we are, are better at it or we're winning. We have just settled. I trust God. I trust God. There was no explanation for why bad things happen. 
And maybe sometimes we get an explanation, but power isn't in that. The power is found in Jesus. And so I found my joy again. I found life again. I found purpose again. I found hope again. I found meaning and reason again. Not because I understood, but because somewhere in the darkest night, God got a hold of me and I said, all right, I trust you. Not a crutch, a lifesaver. People say, your religion is a crutch. No, it's a lifesaver. That's what it is for me. It saved my life. And it is more than a religion. It's a relationship with a God who loves me. I don't understand everything, but in everything, I do trust God. You're telling me there's no hope. I'm telling you, you're wrong. You're telling me there's no hope. I'm telling you, you're wrong. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. God, I pray right now, Lord, in this room where I sense your presence, would you help us to trust you? Lord, help us to stop trying to understand things that are beyond us. Help us to try, stop trying to explain things we can't explain. Lord, I thank you for the wisdom that you've given us and the knowledge that we do have. And I thank you for the understanding that we have. But Lord, I pray right now where understanding stops, Lord, your, our trust would begin. And we would no longer waste any more time or virtue or space trying to figure out why. But have, give us the courage, Lord, the confidence and quiet confidence to trust you. And Lord, I pray it would be our strength. It would buoy us up in our spirits and our souls and our minds, our hearts. We would rest in you. Help us to settle it right now. Lord, I pray for every person that's confused this morning, that feels overwhelmed, just feels shaken by life. God, I thank you, Lord, that you are our refuge. Lord, that you are a firm foundation. Lord, we lean on you. We trust you. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed, every eye closed, give you opportunity here this morning to put your faith in this God we've been talking about, Jesus. Put your trust in him. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I'm going to count to three in just a few moments. And when I get to three, if you say today is today I trust God with my life, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and put it right back down. I'm going to pray for you. It's between you and God. That's why we keep our eyes closed, not trying to call you out. But this is the greatest decision we can make in our lives. And it's whether or not we choose to trust God, even when we can't understand everything about him. We trust his goodness, trust that he loves us, trust that his plan for us is better than ours. So if you're in here this morning and today is that day for you, you'd like to put your faith in God, I'd be honored to pray for you. I'm gonna count to three and when I do that, would you raise your hand, put it right back down. One, two, three, wherever you are, thank you, thank you. Anyone else? 
Just put it up, put it right back down. I see it. Thank you so much. God, thank you for loving us. Lord, I'm so grateful that you're trustworthy. Right now, we choose to put our trust in you. Forgive us of our sins. Lord, we make you Lord of our life. Thank you for loving us and making a way for us where there seemed to be no way. Lord, from this day forward, we're going to follow you. We know you're not a genie in a bottle. We know you don't grant us all of our wishes, but that you're with us in it all. You are with us. Thank you for that promise. Thank you that you forgive us. You set us free. Lord, help us now to follow you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen.